and see everything that happens and unfolds with him and how we can make application of what happened to him into our lives as well. Uh, Genesis 37 is where his story starts, if you'd like to turn there to follow along. Um, One of the things is, is that as we make application of Joseph's life, first thing is, is that you're going to see that your environment, what you grew up in, what has gone on around you, does not have to dictate what goes on from now on. It doesn't have to make that big of an impact on your life if you don't let it. Joseph's going to show us that by trusting in the word of God. Not to make light of anything that may have happened. I, I myself have had many traumatic things happen. But you move on. You persevere. And we're going to see how Joseph does that through the word of God. The second application is knowing, believing, And standing on the promises of God. If you will know them. And if you will believe them and trust them and stand on them. Then you can handle anything. And it perseveres you on through that. So I want you to search and dig down deep inside yourself. And answer that question. Can I truly say that I am going to trust. In everything I hear in his word. To be true and applicable to me. And if you can. Then it's going to make life a whole lot easier. To be able to to handle and to get by with. So Romans 8.28 then. As we look at a couple promises. I hit on this one all the time. This verse can apply to any situation in your life. And it literally reads like this whenever you go to it in the original language. It says that we know, and there's the first key, knowledge. We know that to those who love God, God works together all things for the good. To those being called according to his purpose. That's the second best reason that I know of to be a child of God. The first one is eternal life and that promise. The promise of eternal life is is the greatest reason to be a child of God. But the second one is that if you love him, if you are called according to his purpose and you know about him, then he takes every situation in life, good and bad, and works that together for good. When you look at the tapestry of your life at the end, you will see that he wove a thread completely throughout it. Everything that was good and bad for your good. This is a promise. He doesn't say all things are good. He said he takes all things, the bad decisions I make, the bad decisions other people's makes concerning me, and his promise is that I will turn that together for your good. That is a promise for us to stand on. Second thing, Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 tells us another promise. It says that according as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge, there's that word know again, through the knowledge, it's key for us, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. 
Each and every one of us has been called to have glory and virtue in our life. That's a promise. The Word of God says in His book that I have called you for that. Look at it again. Through knowledge of Him, you are given divine power to be able to handle all circumstances. He has called you to be His own child. He gives us his word, which is his divine power and authority. The same word that spoke and the universe came to be is given to us to handle our problems of life and to set us straight. So he wants us to enjoy life and to enjoy it more abundantly. But he says, you will never do that until you submit yourself to my word to study it and to know it. So that then you can stand on those and apply them to your life. Without knowledge, you don't know what you can stand on and what you can't. So that is the key. Romans 8.28 is a divine promise for us. God himself says, if you will love me, if you will be called according to my purpose, I will work everything out in your life for the good. The curses will be turned to blessings. The decisions will will be woven together for good. Anything that was meant for your harm is going to come to good. We're going to see that in the life of Joseph. You're not going to believe all the things that happens to him and the way that we can make those applications to our life. One catch, though. The promise is only good to those, it says, that love God and want to follow after his purpose. But if you will do that and if you will seek him, I promise, and no, God promises that he's going to take care of you and that everything will be put together. Now, the things in the Old Testament, these things that we're going to study about in the life of Joseph, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, when it was talking there, it says it gave us some instructions about Moses and the children of Israel when they crossed the Red Sea and It says that the things that happened to them in the wilderness happened for our examples. It happened and was written in the word of God so that we today can rely upon those promises. Everything from Genesis to Malachi is for us as an example. To be able to say this was true and the way God worked then he also works through us as well. So the life of Joseph that we study for the next few weeks is going to be critical in giving us the power to persevere over everything and to have our best life ever. And I hope that you invite people and I hope that you don't miss one because it it has been so impactful upon my life and I pray that it will be upon yours as well. And so with that introduction, you think that you have a past. You think that you've got problems and you say, no, You don't understand, Daryl, and probably God doesn't understand as well. No, he does. He does, and you're going to see through the tapestry of this that, yes, even you and I can have the same things. Joseph, you would think that he's going to be blessed. He's got royal lineage. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are his forefathers. That's great-grandpa, grandpa, and dad. I mean... Every place you go in the Old Testament, it talks about that, doesn't it? 
the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. What better lineage can you have to grow up in, you say? Well, Abraham, of course, had Sarah as his wife, and that's the lineage that he comes through. But he also had children through Hagar, Ishmael, and Keturah, Midian. So there are cousins that go down that's going to provide a lot of problems for this lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They cause problems to this very day in the Middle East. That's where most of those problems come from. Now, his grandpa, Isaac. Think about Isaac. We saw a couple of weeks ago with Hannah that whenever there is more than one wife involved that you can have problems, isn't there? We saw that you can have favoritism. Oh, I hate that because I've had that in my life. Favoritism. Big problem. Well, we're going to times that by two this time because there's four involved in Joseph's life with children being brought down. His uh, grandfather Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And you'll find out that Isaac loved Esau. Esau was born a red-haired, hairy man, loved the outdoors, loved to hunt. He was rugged. He was, he was wild. He loved the taste of raw game. So did Isaac. So it says that Isaac loved Esau, but Rebekah, Rebekah loved yeah, Jacob. So, all of a sudden, you've got favoritism again. You've got this division. Esau, the hunter, the wild game man. You've got Jacob, who was really mama's boy. It says that he liked to hang around the tents. So, he played the Xbox and watched the cooking shows. While his brother went out hunting and, and doing all of that kind of stuff. Op, polar opposites. Mom loved the homeboy. Dad loved the outdoorsman. So you see favoritism already beginning that's going to affect even the children that's going to come down the line. So there's the part of the history. Then in verse 28, Isaac loved Esau, Rebekah loved Joseph. And there we go. So when he grew weak, he called for Esau and he said, I love that wild meat that you do. And before I pass on, before I give you the blessing, I want you to go out and I want you to go hunting and I want you to capture some of that and cook it up the way you know that I like it. And then I'm going to give you the blessing. Guess who was listening? Rebecca. She didn't want Esau to have the blessing. She wanted Jacob to have the blessing. So they conspired they put goat hair on his arm, on his shoulders, because Esau was such a hairy man and said, you, I'm going to fix the stew the way he likes it, and you take it in and take the birthright. Deception, favoritism. This is, this is dad now. This is grandparents and dad, and this is what's going on in the family at this time. Then... We get an example of, of then his environment. And you say, mine was a lot worse than that. So far, you've not really hit on anything. Oh, we're just getting started. We're just getting started. We're just laying some groundwork for what's going to happen. 
Joseph grew up in a home whose father was a swindler and a cheater, a deceiver, and he had four wives, three of which he never really wanted to marry in the first place because he really only wanted Rachel. Leah was not his favorite. He got swindled by his father-in-law and he had to work 14 years to get the one that he wanted to marry. So you see all kinds of stuff going on in the background here. So dad was big on favoritisms just like his father was. He loved Rachel but none of the others. Acorns don't fall far from the tree, do they? (laughs) They usually fall pretty close. So here now he's going to grow up in the same type of thing. Leah always wanted Jacob to love her. She wanted that from the beginning, but he wouldn't. He always wanted Rachel. So whenever the Lord noticed that, it says that he closed the womb of Rachel and he opened the womb of Leah. And she bore the first son whose name was Reuben. And with Reuben, she said... The Lord has seen my peril. So now with all of this background, Joseph is going to be far down the line. He's going to be down the 11th child out of 12. And with all of this, now if you're there in Genesis chapter 37, let's go in prayer to God. I'm going to give you a moment of silent prayer for yourself to prepare your mind and your heart. And then I'll close this out again, and then we'll go into the Word of God because all we've done is laid the beginning. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your Word that we're about to open up. Word that you breathe for us that gives us the breath of life as well. And Father, we pray that you'll open our minds and our eyes and our ears and our hearts to be able to understand and apply these things and to see that you wrote these down. They will live and abide forever, but they are for our blessing and for our guidance. And Father, we praise you for your son Jesus and for your word and for your spirit that you've given us as a promise. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Genesis 37, beginning in verse 1. Jacob lived in a land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. And this is the account of Jacob's family line, that Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought to their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. And when his brothers saw that his father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and they could not even speak a kind word unto him. And Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, They hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream that I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out 
in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose up and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. And his brothers said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And then it says they hated him even the more because of the dream that he had said. He didn't stop. It says he had another dream. And he told it to his brothers and said, Listen, I had another dream, and this time the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. And when he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream that you've had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down before the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept all of this matter in mind. Joseph is 17 years old. And now as we pick up the story, how do you think that his home life has been? As we read the first 11 verses there. He's the favorite of his father. He gets all kinds of special treatment like that coat of many colors. They hate him. He is the one of his old age. Look at verse 4 again. Let's look at how his home life was. They hated him. Verse 5, they hated him all the more. Verse 8, again, they hated him all the more. Hatred leads to jealousy in verse 11. Verse 11, they became jealous of him. A little bit later, you're going to see that they desire to kill him. And they actually plot to do that. But they're rescued by one of the brothers making a comment, let's just sell him into slavery. But all of this is going on. He's facing this every day. None of the family members like him. They can't stand him. He starts out promising, though, in verse 2, if you look there, it says that he was tending the flock with some of his brothers, But then it says he brought back to dad a bad report about them. Oh, now we get it. That's why they don't like him. He's a tattletale, right? He's ran back with this. And who likes a little tattletale coming and running all the time? Well, don't jump to conclusions on me. Because that's not really what's happening there. Because you see, the key word is tending the flocks there. And the word for tending the flocks means to be the shepherd over them. And so his father had put him in charge. It's a word of authority. It's the same word that's used for like the flock of God that's here at this building that the shepherds, the elders are called the shepherds over the flock and they have rule and they are the ones who are held accountable for what's going on. And so the same way here, Joseph is held accountable because... He is the shepherd over the flock and the operation of his father. His father has made him to be this. And so now we begin to see why he had to bring back the report that he did. It was his position to do that. A casual reading of the word of God doesn't quite give you all of that. But that's what it does whenever you start digging into what the words actually mean. How do you think that goes over with the rest of them? Reuben, the firstborn, is probably well into his 30s by now. Because this is the 11th child. 
So he's probably in his 30s. How do you think he feels being the one who is supposed to receive the blessing, the one who is supposed to be in charge, and then pretty soon will have the flocks and the lands and the different things? Oh, so we've got inheritance. We've got all of this money and land and things. Starts getting serious if you've ever seen some of the families battle over some of this stuff. They see this young man, this favorite, getting ready to be in line over the other ten involved. And they don't like it. They can't stand him. They don't even like that coat that they have made for him. So then, we get to Reuben. You say, here's where your history starts. He's 30-some years old. Joseph faces him every day. You think Reuben's a nice man? Well, all of this jealousy and bitterness has caused him in uh, Exodus 35, I believe it is. I mean, in Genesis 35 and verse 22. Jealousy caused him to go into his father's wife into the tent. And he went in unto her and defiled Joseph's mother's handmaid because of that. So you think he's a nice guy? No, he's not. Whenever Jacob is getting ready to hand out the blessings to the firstborn, he calls Reuben up and he says, Reuben, you are as unstable as water. You slush back and forth. You can't stay solid. And because of that, you will not excel. He got no blessing at all. He said, because you defiled my bed. So Reuben is unstable as water, no blessing, and he is going to know that. He can't stand his brother. Oh, but he's a choir boy compared to the next two that you see up there, Simeon and Levi. You go into chapter 34 and you look at what they did. You see, because there's also a daughter involved through Leah, and her name's Dinah. And as they were out here grazing their flocks... Dinah says, I'm going to go to the ladies of the neighborhood in the city there, and I'm going to meet them, and I'm going to see how they are and just say hi. Well, when she goes there, a man named Shechem. Shechem is a prince. He is in line to be king. And he sees Dinah. He is used to getting what he wants. He takes her, forces her to lay with him. It would be called rape today. And then he finds out that he loves her after that. And so he goes back then to his dad, the king, and says, I want this woman to be mine. And so now the king and the prince and a bunch of men from the city, they come out now to the flocks of Jacob and the children to try to get Dinah. She's still back evidently there. Jacob heard about it, but he hasn't told his boys yet because... He knows his boys. These are not good men. These are tough, mean, and ornery young men. And so when they see all of these people coming, they step up to the plate and come up to see what's going on with his dad. And when they do, they hear the story about what happened to Dinah. And so they already started plotting in their minds. And they said, you know what? You want to take our our sister to be your wife. But we can't have anything to do with uncircumcised 
people. So if you will all become circumcised, every male in your city, then we will allow you to marry our sister and we will have trade with you and we will work with you on things. That pleased the king and the prince. And they went back and they convinced every man in the village to become circumcised. On the third day, when they were very sore, they couldn't move. Simeon and Levi and their helping hands, they go into the city with their swords and they kill every male in the city. They annihilate everyone. They go into the king's chamber. They kill the king, the prince. They grab their sister Dinah and they bring her with them. These are snakes in the grass. So, because God should have been able to handle it. It's not for us to have revenge in that type of way to take a life. So, the father, Jacob, when he finds out what happened, he says unto them, he says, You have caused us to stink in the nostrils of the people around about this land. You don't know what defacement you've done. And you know what the attitude of the two boys was? All they said back to him was, That man should not have treated our sister like a harlot. And they moved on. So these are the kind of people that Joseph's having to deal with every day of his life. It doesn't stop there. We get a couple more things. Dan. Dan is an adder. A snake in the grass, it says in Genesis 49. Issachar is a wild ass of a man, it says. Really wild and crazy and strong. So all of these are the people that cannot stand Joseph. And dad has put him over them. They have to give reports to dad about these kind of men who are up to 15 or more years his senior. And it's not a very good environment for him to grow up in. Would you agree with these kind of people? Now, at 17 it says then that he's the chief shepherd over the flocks that dad has made them. And then in verse 3 it says that Israel loved him more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. Yeah, it was in his old age, but actually Benjamin is the one of his old age as well. He's going to be the next one that comes along. This is a Hebrew idiom as as well as the fact that it was into his old age, but it's an idiom that means with age comes wisdom and that this was a child that he was able to rear up during the old age time that he saw that he was wise and he was going to be able to be the one to carry on in the footsteps, the family operation. All the rest of my other boys are wild, they're crazy, and I don't know if I can trust them with this. And so what he did because of this, it says because he loved him and because he was wise, he made an ornate robe for Joseph to show this rank. It says in the King James Version, a coat of many colors. I hate to pop Bible story, VBS stories, Sunday school stories, but it doesn't mean just a coat of many colors. The actual word there for this is a robe that is long-sleeved to the wrist and long-legged down to the ankles. That's what the actual word means. The reason that colors become involved with it is because the colors would be what 
the normal robe would come down by the elbows and the knees. And so they would put circles of cloth sewed onto it. A lot of times in colors to show rank and authority. Because this special type of robe was one that gives rank and authority. So the father was placing him in charge, like it said, that he was the chief shepherd. And if you look, it's the boss. It's the robe of authority. Even in military history, it comes all the way up to today. If you take a look at that, the guys, do you see their long sleeves? And you see the colors and the bars of the admiral rank. Look at the guy in the very back that is saluting. There's nothing on his sleeves. The one who has the long sleeves with the colors that ornate down it is a rank and a badge of honor and authority. So now you're beginning to see why they hated him. Because dad has said this kid's wiser than you are. I trust him and I love him more. And I am placing him over all of you. And he gets to walk around in this coat of authority that dad has given to him. And now you understand why it's a big deal and it's important that we rightly divide the word of truth so that we understand why all this hatred is being heaped upon him. They hate him. He's different than they are. Yeah, that, I didn't go to the Heron School of Art. <laughs> okay, just to say that up front. Yeah, that's me uh, and my drawing. But I didn't, I didn't go there, so I got a good excuse. But... This is the difference. Now, if you look at the other 11 brothers running around in their short dress coat, and you see dad's favorite running around in his coat of authority, how does that make you feel every time you see him? Doesn't make you feel very good, does it? And he's not treacherous like they are. He doesn't think like they do. So, and they think, oh, here comes the Christian, the little goody-goody two-shoes. Here comes dad's little favorite. He doesn't act like we do. He wouldn't participate in helping us take care of our sister. He doesn't do these type of things. There's a big divide between all of them. Three times in our text it says how much they hated him and even the more and how it led to the jealousy. Look at verse 4 again. When they saw how Joseph was treated in the dress by their dad. They hated him and they could not speak even peaceably to him. The word peaceably there is shalom. You've probably heard that word. It's a Hebrew term for a greeting. It means peace, but it's like us saying, hello, how are you? They hated him so much they couldn't even say hello to him. They hated him that bad. They wouldn't even greet him with a hello. Your environment was tough probably growing up. Mine too. But you can't believe what he's going through. These are guys that are mean, murderous. Genesis 34 and 5 happened before 37 of our text. He knows that they are murderers, that they are thieves, because after they murdered them, they took everything out of the village and brought it back. Even their wives and their kids and their goats and their donkeys, they brought everything back. So they're murderous, they're thieves, and they will back up what they do, and he knows it. And they can't stand him. Every day, he has to walk on eggshells on whether I am going to make it through this day or not. He has to trust God with that. So then in verse 5, it says that he dreamed a dream. 
and he told it to his brothers. That made them hate him even more, it says. Especially, now get this, not only are you over him and you know that they hate you, you have this dream and you go on to say, hey guys, listen to this. Look at verse 6. Hear my dream that I have dreamed. Y'all were out in the field binding up your sheaves with me. And you know what? My sheaf stood up. And all of you guys gathered around and you bowed down to the ground. And all of you guys made obeisance to me. Listen to that. How do you think that went over? It's like a screen door on a submarine. It's not good. It didn't go over good. And it says that they hated him even the more. Then, you're talking about rubbing your nose in it. Look again at verse 8. Shall you reign over us? You think you're going to rule and have dominion? You little peep squeak, you better think again. That's not going to happen. And it says they hated him for his dreams and for his words. Are you beginning to get the picture of what Joseph grew up in? This isn't leave it to beaver. He's not going, oh, gee, Wally, I had this dream and you're going to bow down, it says, but I don't want you to have to, Wally. And he taps Beeve on the head and says, it's okay, Beeve, I understand. Now, that kind of dates me, I know. Some of you young guys are going, what in the world is he talking about? But anyway, this isn't leave it to Beaver. This isn't Wally as a brother. This is Murder Incorporated. Next time, he involves the parents. Look down at verse 9. He dreamed another dream. And of course, he had to tell it to his brothers. Listen up, guys. This time, I dreamed that the sun, the moon, and 11 stars is going to bow down before me. Verse 10. This time, even dad gets a little bit upset with his favorite son. And he rebukes him and said, Boy, are you saying that your mama and I... And the brothers are going to bow down to you? He says, yeah, that's what my dream said, Dad. He's a little upset. Verse 11 says how jealous the brothers got. How angry they got over it. But Dad, Dad knows a little bit about this boy. And it says that he put everything in the back of his mind. He's categorizing this because he knows something's up with what the boy is saying. Now... They're going to want to kill him in a minute. That's next week. I'm going to leave you at the cliffhanger. These boys all want to kill him. It's going to tell you now they're jealous in verse 11. They're envious. What's going to happen next week? Come back and find out. As the worship team comes on back up. If you look down in verse 19 of our story. It says here's what they said to him. As he's crossing the field to where they're out. Here comes that dreamer now. And they said to each other, come, let's kill him. Let's kill him. They've sent him. Dad sent him to Murder Incorporated way out into a field where there's nobody else. And they see him walking across. And they said, here comes the dreamer now. Let's see how... His dreams are going to rank by the time we get through with him. Let's kill him. But you know what? What we're going to find out in this study, how that we said that God turns everything into blessing. You're going to see how God takes all of these different things and turns it into blessing, the cursings in life. And that's a promise from God himself. So next week, 
we're going to see what happens. We're going to see how God works miracles through all of this. And I pray that this mini-series of Joseph will change your life forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Joseph and his story. I know it's, it's been so impactful upon my life, and I pray that in some way we'll be able to share the power of your word with people in a way that can help motivate them to see that through any situation of life that you are there and that you are guiding and that you are leading us, Father. And we thank you and we pray that we will be challenged by the things that we're going to find out with Joseph and that we can apply them and challenge to our life to walk with you in faith and in truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.